1: Greetings, music nerds, and welcome to season six of Music Makers and Soul Shakers. I am your host, Steve Dawson, coming to you from the Hen House Studio here in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm really excited to be bringing you this new season of shows coming to you on the first and third Wednesdays of every month. I have a great lineup of fascinating conversations with incredible musicians, songwriters, guitarists, steel guitarists, drummers, composers, who knows what else. I've been having an incredible time diving deep with these folks, and I know you're going to enjoy listening. Just a reminder that this year I've taken out the short song samples through the show, as things have gotten way more complicated as far as legal use of music goes, so I'll be making an accompanying Spotify playlist to each episode, which you'll find in the episode's show notes and at the website at makersandshakerspodcast.com. So anytime you hear this cute little slide guitar sound, you'll know there's a track to go along with it on the playlist. We have some new sponsors this year, but continue to be largely listener-supported. Your help in keeping the show going is always appreciated, and you can do it with a one-time donation or a Patreon subscription. Patreon is a monthly payment of your choice and when you sign up for that, you get a bit of added content as well as an ad-free version of the show to listen to. If you don't feel like kicking in any dough, that's cool too but you can help by subscribing for free on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or just spread the word by sharing the show, following us on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and telling all your pals about it. You can get links to all this stuff of course at makersandshakerspodcast.com. Meanwhile, many thanks to our sponsors this season. Please check them out and let them know that I sent you. They are Isotope, Ear Trumpet Labs, Union Tube and Transistor, Black Mountain Picks, and Spectra 1964. Hey there, music nerds, and welcome back to season six of the show. This is episode number 127, and my guest today is one of my favorite slack key guitarists on the planet, Mr. George Kahumoku, Jr., And, you know, I've been wanting to get a slack key player on the show for quite a while now, but it just never worked out until right now. So I'm really excited to have George on the show. He joined me via Zoom from his house slash farm, which I believe is on the big island. Although maybe it's Maui. I'm not totally sure now that I'm thinking about it. Anyway, there's uh, a couple things to let you know about this episode. George is super friendly and was really happy to talk about music and all that. And we actually talked for well over two hours. So I did cut some stuff out. And we even, he played some and we even did some Zoom jamming. And I don't know if you've ever bothered to try jamming over Zoom, but it's a bit of a nightmare because there's like this latency problem. It's the reason why recording remotely never worked in real time during COVID. But uh, I, I actually tried to like manually compensate for that as we were playing, and and we tried to jam, and it sort of worked. Uh, So a, a little bit of that is in there, but sadly, with Zoom, as soon as the input volume, like what you're playing or singing or talking, the volume goes up, things just go berserk inside of Zoom, and all these crappy compressors kick in. So his lovely playing and singing just didn't translate that well through Zoom. So I cut most of it out just for quality's sake, but I did leave some in because it's just so dang charming and great. And I figured we could all just roll with, with that. So it's when he's playing, it sounds a little bit ballistic. And that's why it's Zoom. So there. And speaking of uh, quality control last or two weeks ago, I had a, a glitch in the audio. This is on the Fred Eltringham ex- episode. And I would like to apologize for that. I fixed it quickly, but many of you would have downloaded the bad version because that was the one that went out originally. And it had sort of a weird ghosty extra vocal track in it. And I honestly don't know if it was me or if it was a weird upload glitch. It was probably me. I try and proof everything and get the audio as great as it can be. But somehow this one slipped by. And in any case, if you did download it and you're wondering, it is fixed. And so if you want to fix that problem, you just delete the episode and re-download it. And it should be fine now. Uh, Thanks for letting me know that it was a problem. I was on the road, and it was a bit of a scramble to try and fix it, but I did. I will try and not have that happen again. All right, so what else is going on out there? Uh, Man, I had some fun playing last week at the Edmonton Folk Festival. It really is one of the best festivals out there. And, you know, I, I knew that I'd missed playing live and playing with a band, and... At these festivals, especially the Canadian ones, they, they do these workshops that aren't really what you think of as a workshop. They put you on stage with other musicians who you may or may not know, and jamming and improvisation is kind of encouraged. It doesn't always work, and sometimes it's totally out of people's comfort zones to do that. But uh, the the director there, Terry Wickham, is is really smart and really knowledgeable about music and puts interesting people together. And for me, it was really magical, and the experience of improvising with strangers was It was something that I I guess I'd forgotten how powerful it can be. And had some great jams with um, a band called Lunasa from Ireland, Uh, Balin from New York, these young brothers, sisters called Balin. They're incredible. Check them out. I should get them on the show. And Tony McManus, incredible guitarist, uh, Scottish, but he lives in Canada. And of course I had my awesome band there too. And we just had a ball. So looking forward to more playing. And what else? I put out an album this week, too. It's called Phantom Threshold, and it's a trippy little instrumental pedal steel album. I would love for you to go listen to it. It's on all the streaming places. It's it's under the name Steve Dawson and the Telescope 3, but you can just look for Steve Dawson Phantom Threshold, and it'll come up. Or you can get it at my website, stevedawson.ca. And oh, and uh, yeah, lastly, we've been doing this contest for youngsters, and we're about to release the fruits of that, the winners. We pick some cool young songwriters under 20 and remotely record and mix a song for them for free. It's called The Hen House Express Junior, and the three winning songs will come out next week. So check them out. We're going to release some videos and singles, and those kids are really awesome, and it was fun to work with them. So that's coming out next week. All right, so George Kahumoku Jr. is on the show, and uh, you know I feel like Slack Key is kind of a misunderstood thing. So let me fill you in briefly. We do talk about it. I talk about it with George, and he kind of gets into to what he defines it as. But I think it needs a bit of simple clarification because I know that like sometimes when I play lap steel, Hawaiian music, people think that I'm playing slack key and I'm not, that is not what slack key is. It isn't a kind of a guitar. It's actually a style of playing in with finger style and of tuning the guitar, but it's not an instrument. It's a regular guitar So it's kind of a vague definition, but basically any tuning that you drop the pitch from standard tuning, say open G or open D or one of hundreds of variations of those tunings and play in a certain way and perform certain repertoire, you are playing slack key. So it's a traditional Hawaiian form and it gained some pretty massive popularity in the nineties when the dancing cat label formed. George Winston was sort of like a new age piano player and he got, he was really into flat key guitar, and signed most of the current crop of great players and put out records for them. So um, that included George, but also George's brother Moses and Sonny Chillingsworth, Keola Beamer, Ledward Ka'apana, Barney Isaacs, Cyril Pahanui, son, I believe, of the great Gabby Pahanui, and quite a few more. So check out that label. They seem to be pretty selective about what goes up on Spotify. So my playlist that goes with this episode lacks some of those Dancing Cat titles, only because they don't exist on Spotify. So that's the scoop. George is one of the greats. He's an amazing player. He grooves. He's got a killer voice. He plays almost exclusively on a 12-string, which is unusual. And he has his own F-tuning that we get into as well. And the first part of this interview includes... Uh, A lot of really interesting Hawaiian history that was mostly news to me, and I kept it in there because, uh, you know, it's fascinating. So I hope you're ready for a bit of groovy history here before we dive into George's career and his recordings. He is very active today and still plays a weekly show on Maui called Masters of Hawaiian Music. If you're over there, don't miss it. He's a multiple Grammy Award winner and not to mention a celebrated farmer as well. And his latest album is called Renaissance Man. He's going on tour this fall around the western states. You can get info on all of that at kahumoku.com. And before we get going here, I'd just like to shout out to the folks who made donations or signed up to the Patreon over the last couple of weeks. Von Colburn, Jerry Danson. Uh, Thank you, guys. I could not do it without you. And just letting you know, too, that we're giving away a really cool Union Tube and Transistor C-Verb reverb pedal at the end of this season to a random Patreon subscriber. So if you're already subscribed or do so before the end of season six, you'll be enrolled in that little giveaway. So thanks to Union Tube and Transistor for supplying the pedal. All right, let's get down to it. Enjoy my conversation with George Kahumoku Jr., how big is your farm? How many acres are, are you on? We
2: have we have the three acre farm and then we fenced in our neighbors about a hundred acres. Yeah. And then I planted almost five thousand acres of uh, of wild stuff, you know. Wow. I want to show you this. This is our hall of fame right here. All right, let's see it. We got we've been through the Grammy seven times. Amazing. Look at that. We got we got five uh five Grammy. I gave one grammy to my son.
1: Nice. Well, you gotta share it
2: around a little bit. Yeah. So we got biz, and we got 5 Grammys for Best Hawaiian Music. We got all kind of awards.
1: Yeah, they used to have a Grammy, they used to have a Hawaiian category in the Grammys,
2: right? Yeah, they, they went for 7 years and we won 5 years in a row. Oh man.
1: <laughs> That's amazing. Did you did you ever go to the ceremony in LA?
2: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We we performed and everything.
1: This is
2: our, I'm also a farmer so we we make guava jam. See this is a guava jam. These are the fruits and vegetables from our farm. These are our, our, our hunting dogs. They live in the house with us. Oh, look at and all these those These are herding guys. dogs. This is, Hoku. this is Lily Boy. We have about 300 varieties of fruits and vegetables on our farm, herbal teas, herbs, wow. and canoe plants. We also have cattle, horses, ducks, chickens. We catch about 100 pearl, uh, pigs a month, oh, really? chickens, deer. Beautiful. So where, where are you? Are you on Maui, or are you on, a, on the big island? No, no, I'm I'm I'm, I'm originally from the Big Island. I I lived there f- most of my life, and then and I played music at the monarchy Beach Hotel. And what happened is they got they they ended up uh, closing for renovation for two years. Yeah. So when they closed for renovation, then uh, then I the, it was a Western, you know. Yeah. I opened Western hotels. Off opened up almost 200 Western hotels uh, throughout the world. At one time, uh, the West was owned by United Airlines. Oh. So what they did is. Uh, when they opened up a Westin, my brother and I would travel with it and, and actually open up all these hotels for the Westin. Wow! Cool. And then we could travel, and they were owned by United, so we we got to travel the world play, uh, on United for free wherever <laughs> nice. we wanted to go to. Yeah, I mean, we we uh, we paid for the private parties on the boats, whatever you know. Amazing! I had music on The Descendants, the movie The Descendants. Oh, I like that movie a lot. Actually, that was good. George Cooley. Yeah. Yeah. They paid me forty thousand for each song, and I did uh, four songs in there.
1: Wow, that's pretty nice. You're talking about Adam Sandler movies. Were you involved in
2: Punch Drunk Love at all? No, um, you know I don't even have TV and stuff. Actually, Adam Sandler was one of my uh, students. I taught him how to play ukulele twenty nice. years ago. Yeah, he would come to Hawaii all the time, just before he had all these kids and stuff. So I was wondering if
1: we could maybe talk a little bit about slack key in general. Um, Okay. Because I think I think a lot of people misunderstand the term a little bit. I know I know what it is, but I but I would like for you to. What I find interesting about it is that it seems to be one of the last art forms, and certainly one of the last guitar styles that seems to be taught almost from generation to generation more than any other way. It's it seems to be sort of like a family thing. And I was wondering if you could just sort of talk a little bit about your history with slack key and. Uh, how you got into it and if in fact for you it was that kind of a thing where you were learning from like uncles and and parents and
2: yeah stuff I, learned like for, I learned from a great grandfather yeah oh yeah and uh, yeah so well let me give you a little a story about this because you know I decided, I did some research on this anyway in 1793 George Vancouver dropped off a bunch of cattle on the big island and there's a couple made on a he dropped it off King Kamehameha the great and what happened is that they, they uh they they put a couple, and I think they started off with like four bulls and twenty cows. But by the time they reached Hawaii, they only had one lame bull and five cows left. <laughs> so they let them. I'm from the Kota coast, like I said. So they let them go at Kikoa Bay, and then in less than fifty years, those five or six kira kira grew to almost a million. Could you believe that? Whoa. Yeah, I mean that's how fast they grew, and, and then at the time, uh, you know, what do cows like to eat? Was grass, right? So our housing at the time was attached grass. So now we had a housing problem. And why to, to those cattle they ate all? They're eating. Grass, they're so. eating the so, houses. Yeah. So so
1: so, that's, so a that house, a that's a housing
2: crisis, all right. Right. <laughs> so 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 what happened is um, along comes another sea captain. But uh, then, you know, Samuel Parker, he marries the great-granddaughter of King Kamehameha the Great. And for, I think it was $30 or something, he gets like, you know, 300,000 acres of the, on the big island, wow. you know. And, and then, uh, so what he does is, he has connections over, this is in 1830s, right? He has connections over in um, Monterey, uh, California. And also, when was, was California is a gold rush, there, there's a shortage of, uh, of food, especially uh, right. uh, beef. So he cuts a deal with the Vaqueros Cowboys and from, actually most of them um, came from Argentina. Okay. A, a few were from, uh, from California, but they, you know, they're, they they were, you know, real Paniolo, I mean, we call them Espanos, and And uh, Hawaiians don't have an S, so we changed it to Paniolo instead of Espanol. <laughs> okay. That's how they, they got the name. And so, by they, day, they, they'd run up the cattle, and they they actually would swim the cattle out <clears throat> to the boats, wow. uh, the ships, and then uh, and then uh, and then uh, lift them up, put them in the b- belly of the ships, and then ship them back and forth to uh, to so that the the, the, the cowboys taught the Hawaiians how to do this, yeah. And at night, they they bust out the guitars. Now they had three different guitars. One called the guitaron They played the bass, like a three yeah. or four a five string. You have seen those big guitars? Sure. Then they had a, 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 a five or six string catgut. They they did the, the strumming yeah. You know, they they the strumming like, a, they like a, a
1: like a charango sort of or different than yeah that. yeah 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 okay.
2: And then they, then they had a, a four string tenor guitar. Okay, that they did the lead with, and you can see that in Marashi bands to, to today. You know, yeah, that's how yep. they, they played their music. There's three guys playing and one guy plays bass the other guy plays rhythm the bajo and sexto and the yeah right so so when they left the islands they left a few guitars behind their contract was 42 years and mm-hmm. some of them intermarried we got some so and there's the guitars my great grandfather was one of the guys who got one of those guitars
1: <laughs> really?
2: yeah way back in 1832 so that's us and wow. that they are trained you know so so, so they are training the in the in the tradition, well, actually, not my great grandfather, it's my great great grandfather. He's my wow. great grandfather, and 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 his name was George too. Yeah, and then that's a whole other story. If you want to meet him, but when George Vancouver went over to um to uh looking for the in 1793 when he brought the cattle over, they were looking for the um, I guess the, the Northwest Passage to go from you know. So one of the young uh, boys. He was only over fourteen or fifteen, stowaway in uh, George Vancouver's uh, boat. So when he went back, he had this young kahumuku with him. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And then somewhere over, off off in Nova Scotia, there's a huge storm, and the first mate fell overboard. And after he fell overboard, uh, this young Kahumoku, of course, did you know that all of the you know those the Spanish Armada, Arm, you know all those guys, and even the the yeah. the English had one of the best. Uh, sailing fleets in the world, but they, all of those guys never knew how to swim. Really? Yeah, all this, all English and all Spanish guys, they don't know how to swim. How useless just, is that? I know, but, but the, and then, you know, Hawaiians, we brought up in the water, right? So we right. don't care if the water's cool or what. So this young Kahumoku jumped into the water, saved the first mate's life. Right? and He was the part of uh, George Van Cool's crew. And when he reached England, he was knighted George by King George, Whoa. so I'm I'm George the Knight. <laughs> oh my God, that's amazing! Yeah, and the so reason your, I know that was
1: like your great, or yeah, great great grandfather. Yeah, uh, great
2: great three great, probably four great grandfathers away, and then his name was George. Now I don't I don't know about, about that, but there's a there's a whole bunch of Georges who became famous. One of them, caught uh, Ak- Kahukus. Another one, uh, you know, was trained by the Mormons, by, uh, what's his name? Uh, I can't even think of the uh, whole Mormon guys. So he was arrested by the Catholics because they were uh, going by two by twos. So they they, uh, they moved the whole colony. That's again from the big island. They moved from Kohala over to uh, Lanai. And the 200, they almost died after 11 years of drought and everything in Lanai. So there was only about 30 of them left. They died from far starvation. I mean, Then they moved, they went over to the uh, used all the resources and they bought, um, you know, we, I think they bought about 200 acres in La- Laie and they started the Mormon church. So an, another Kahu Moku started the, the, uh, the Mormon wow. church. And so, so I, I, you know, I, I hold the Hawaiian priesthood. That's what Kahu means. Kahu means the priest of the Moku of the land.
1: Okay. So, so that's so what my means. Is there still a Mormon community in, in Hawaii? Based
2: oh, from it's the- huge. Not only that, those Mormons went out to, to to Tahiti, to tonga fiji uh wow. new zealand i didn't yeah, know so that yeah and then and then and then they started you know they, they have a connection with the the um the mormons over in uh in uh utah as well Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so how did they how,
1: how did they get converted to mormonism in the first place did did mormons come to hawaii at some point
2: yeah that's why yeah they came to, to hawaii uh, in the 1830 and, and stuff like that and then of, of course, they had the Catholics here. The Catholics actually got that started first, then the Mormons, and then also the Protestants. All about the same time. They, they're doing all this missionary, yeah. trying to turn us uh right. into law-abiding uh Christians. And then, <laughs> you know, what really brought us out of the mountains and off of the ocean was the music, because Hawaiians all we had was chanting. We had no melody lines, you know. Okay. So, when they heard the music and the hymns, that's what brought people into the churches and got them all converted was the music. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. And then, so, and, then, and then you're going to ask me, how did I know this? Because in 1977, I played for the Queen's Jubilee. Amazing. And then uh, uh, Queen Elizabeth, when we were going to the line, she said, Kahumoku. She, she said, uh, she gave me uh, a card, and the next day, she took me down to the archives. And in George Vancouver's handwritten, we had to wear gloves and masks and all this stuff. Like, you were like with the queen. Yeah, she took me down into the dungeons and the, you know the, the logs and stuff. Yeah. And she showed me the, where it was logged in, uh, George Vancouver's log, and he had beautiful handwriting. Wow. And, he, and he logged the name Kahumoku. That's crazy. And that's how I found out the story about George Kahumoku through her. Well, that's pretty legit. Yeah, <laughs> because as a, as a child, you know, she said she had to go to it and I, she was she was really inquisitive. So she went to all the captains' logs and all that kind of stuff, especially about Hawaii and all the travels of Captain Cook. You know, and Captain <laughs> Cook came after that. Actually, Well, Captain Cook discovered the islands was, but it was uh, he never got to write anything. Remember, because he they think that they, that they ate Captain Cook, but they didn't eat him. They actually deboned him. See? <laughs> <laughs> I know it's, it's it's a difference. Well, the Hawaiians I actually, mean, I don't know if you want to get into all of this, you know, before the music. I do, podcast. I do, yeah, yeah. Well, tell the, me. Well, my my tutu was, uh, you know, remember I I, I told you we we held the priesthood, yeah, that's what kahu means, and the greatest uh, uh, Heva Heva was the, the that's my line, the, the priesthood of Heiva heva and, and they were the second wave that came over. They were, they were actually from, from Tahiti and Tonga and all like that. But the first wave that came over were, were Tibetan monks. What? Yeah, that's why we call them menahuni. They're short and, they, you know, they have those, 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 those hoods, you know, those, those helmets. That's yeah. like a, and then they have the cape that's red and white. Yeah. And I call them menahuni because they're small and short. So they lived here for a thousand years before the next wave came over, which was the, the, the warriors. So they lived in peace. And then the next wave was the Tahitians, the warriors who brought the caste system with it, with they had the king, the queen, the slaves, the kawa, the mm-hmm. commoner, all like that. That was the second system.
1: So the Tibetan monks, were they were they exploring? Like what, what brought them to Hawaii? In the I don't Irish know. Place?
2: They're pro- I don't know how they ended up, but they ended up just like everybody else who ended up in Hawaii. Um, you know, shipwrecked and 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 whatever. But they had a whole colony going and the, the Tibetan monks were, were vegetarians, of course. They they did you know they did so they grew everything they they ate and 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 they respected. So when when uh when Pao how Pao how was the, the head uh spiritual leader tried to enter uh Molokai where they were born, I mean uh with the Tibetan monks just by chanting, those guys has had so much mana they, they made all the warriors choke and they couldn't even breathe, so they were afraid of the the, the Minahuni. We call it Minahuni. Oh. Which, and those those guys had the power to build stone walls and all kinds of stuff overnight, you know. That's what they say, you know. So Amazing. that's... So when Kamehameha was uniting the islands, my my or l- l- the priest of Heva Heva said, told Kamehameha, look, if you want to unite the islands, you gotta go get the permission from the Minahuni, and their, their, their head uh, kahuna or priest was called uh, Kaula. So Kamehameha and Heva Heva went to Molokai and Kamehameha, you know, actually prostrated himself. He actually crawled up to, to Lanikaula and asked for permission to unite the islands. And Lanikaula said, okay. Wow. So the most powerful kahuna or, or priest was on Molokai. Now there's all kinds of stuff. Now there's a whole protocol of, of Lanikaula here. And I have some of the tea leaf, original tea leaf, and all of the, the protocol from that here growing right on my land here. There's a, there's a variegated tea that we use for blessing. It's, it's really a, a sacred, you know. Uh-huh. Then we also have ava a, 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 and all these uh, different sugarcane that came from that here. So anyway, getting back to, to have a Heva's have line, um, now we got to go back to the, to, to the okay, so anyway, I, I hold the priesthood not only in the Mormon church but also in the in the Hawaiian culture. My great grandfather Willie was one of the you know priests. He and was, I was a, he priest. was a
1: he was a Mormon priest?
2: No, no. Uh there were all Mormons, all the George cos locals were all Mormons, yeah. Okay. But they, they also but they also helped the 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 priesthood what, what they call the dark side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah, <laughs> that, that that stuff that practiced, you know, uh like uh, you know, killing people. And then, so we raised a lot of pigs at the time, uh, black pigs. My great grandfather raised pigs and, you know, we would have all these ceremonies for, uh, you know, weddings and everything. And and, and then the, the center of the, the piece of, was uh, the pig. It's sort of like how Jesus Christ dies for your sins. Well, yeah. the black pigs would die for the sins of, of uh, and even the, 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 you know, the... Um, so they would be sacrificed at, at certain right, ceremonies. Right, they would be okay. sacrificed. That's, that's wow. part of the peace of the other and actually, when I was 11 years old, as part of my priesthood, you had to kill a, 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 an animal with your bare hands. No, no So we learned all the part, martial arts that goes along with the priesthood. You know, we walk through the forest, break branches and stuff like that. And, and we were actually learning martial arts and stuff like that. So you had to reach in, kill an animal, pull out of its heart and eat it raw. That was part of my... Oh. I mean, that's, that's what I call the dark side. You see, that's the whole dark side of the Hawaiian culture. You had to do
1: that when you were eleven.
2: Yeah, my son did did when he was nine. You know, my young, uh, my 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 son uh, Kilki, but he wow. only killed a rabbit, so that wasn't so bad. <laughs> <laughs> but you you killed one of those big black pigs. No, no, no! I killed a lamb. <laughs> a lamb. Okay. Yeah, a baby, baby lamb. And then and then guess what? This is how. If you ever watch you know, the, the the Tibetan monks, yeah, their ritual. This is how they kill the sheep too. They actually okay. reach in. They, they don't use a knife. Or anything. they actually reach in through the through the skin and go underneath and, and pull out the heart from the lamp. So this, and then they used to use the hands and everything just to uh, to take off the skin. Did you know that? I did not know that. Yeah. What's the significance of
1: that of that ritual? Like, what, what what's it all about, really?
2: Well, 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 it's it's a ritual that links uh the links us all together. Not only in the martial arts, you know, we can uh, actually. You know, it's sort of like kung fu or like mm-hmm. like karate. I say, but it's a Hawaiian ritual. So you you train in the martial arts and also in the ritual of healing. And uh, and then so you carry the the priesthood. You know, my, my my brothers, not not, but not all not all of us go through the whole ritual. You know, some some like like I have a older brother. He went to the ritual. My my younger brother didn't. You know, Moses. Why, why not? Well, he grew up with my my, my mom, okay. so my mom my mom was my uh, my my parents were divorced when I was really young. So he was only uh, three years old when he left. So he grew uh-huh. up with my mom for 18. So he missed that that whole time, uh, that she, window. She
1: wasn't into the, she wasn't into it. No, no, no. She was actually into the hula though, oh, which is that's, a of, that's a lot more friendly.
2: <laughs> yeah, 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 more friendly. <laughs> and then there's even in more stories than in, uh in the 16th uh a century there's a, a, a Okinawan fisherman who got sidetracked from the you know hurricanes that happened in Okinawa as well. Yeah. So he ended up in Hawaii. So according to my Greek grandmother, this is what I call Olelo. It's it's passed on for gentry just by uh, there's nothing books written about it. It's just if any book's gonna be written, I'm I'm writing about it, going to write about it anyway.
3: Yeah.
2: But uh so 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 we have Okinawan blood too. So we have Okinawan and then the, one of the first uh, blacksmiths for um, uh, for Parker Ranch was came from Mongolia, so actually I actually have Mongolian blood too. Wow. He jumped the fence which my great great grand grandmother, who was only uh, probably thirteen or fourteen at the time. He was, he lived to be almost hundred years old. This guy White Chung from, from uh, Mongolia, but he had a whole bunch of kids. So my so I got Mongolian blood, <laughs> we got Okinawan blood, and then we got Hawaiian. So I have about Amazing. one one-eighth Mongolian, one, one eight, uh Okinawan, and the rest is Hawaiian, Seventy Hawaiian. So that's why I got wow. the sacrifice, yeah.
1: Growing up then, like religion was a big part of your life, obviously. And but yeah, was, yeah. We, was,
2: we,
1: was music a big part as well? Like we're all your well, family remember playing remember I told instruments? you
2: that we had all these ceremonies. So, we, you know, there'd be 20, 30 parties every weekend. <laughs> Wow. And That's busy. Because my grandfather also raised pigs. This is where people came to get their pigs, you know. We we right. had, you know, we, we had a ranch and a, and a farm. So we caught wild pigs and my grandfather raised them. So there'd be the party before the party, you know, we, we killed the <laughs> animals, get all that stuff ready. Then there'd be the party. <laughs> then there'd be the after party. And this would go on all weekend. And and in between all that time was the music. My grandfather played slacky, my grandfather, everybody. They, you know, I grew up with twenty-six cousins. We're, we're like kind of the slaves to our Greek and because they, they're having all these these parties. And you were the, and you were the entertainment. And we we had every kind of instrument in our family. We had violins, we had an accordion, we had a saxophone, we had uh, and, and we had guitars and tresses and and uh, uh, ukuleles and quattros and tepos and. Math, so where you know. the,
1: where where are the instruments like uh, accordion and saxophone coming from?
2: I don't know, but all all I know is we had them in our house, and and then when we, we did these jam jam sessions, you know, um, they'd be playing all these instruments, you know, and my grandfather uh, Willie, who was the oldest, uh, we played slacky guitar, and he didn't have a capo in those days, but he had a rubber band with a, a pencil that he was using That'll as a capo. Yeah. yeah. And my grandmother played ukulele and my uncles, you know, and everybody played something. And, and they'd, they'd have this whole, whole big jam session. So the party, before, and then, you know, most of the parties are two to 300 people, but sometimes you get up to 2,000 people. And my grandfather was also oh. the aku for our village, besides being a high priest. So up in the mountains, we had about 400 acres that the whole village, we had about 2,000 people in our village would have to go up and, and clear they planted bananas, taro, and when there was a big party, this is like our sort of like a Costco <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> no, really, it was like a. Uh, everybody had their own three, four, six-acre garden, but we had this four, big, big, four hundred-acre garden that, that. When my grandfather called that the word, you knew, you all had to show up and, and come for this this uh, thing. So, so
1: everyone would sort of clear their part, and then that would make way for the for the big area to have the parties
2: in. Right. No. No. To grow all the food for the big party, oh, okay. that's what they were oh, born. Wow, okay. the bananas, the breadfruit, the the uh, the taro for the big party. Happen and then remember, we have all these pigs happening too every weekend. So my my grandfather would perform the wedding, then they they, they they'd kill the pigs and all the rituals they go through, then mm-hmm. they part. And then in the olden days, you know, before uh, there's something called the Makahiki season, it, it begins in October. Actually, it almost ends right now in February, but it was uh, it was a celebration for three, four months. No wars. You couldn't even plant or, or grow food. You, all you could do is harvest. So it was a big party, and they would have the Makiki games. It started in the month of Ikuo, which means shouting, because the people are shouting. There's this big contest with these slides. They, they build these big slides. They had to go for three, four, five miles around. Made out of rocks and they throw pili grass on the slides and then they slide down. It's only a small little a sled that's only about six inches wide and about 10 feet long. Yeah. But if you if you fall off the, the slide, which is about uh maybe uh, 15, 20 feet long, and it goes for miles, uh, you go into the rocks and you bust your teeth and everything. You know, oh, you shit. I know. So they 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 made these contests, they had, you know, the surfing contests and all of that. So the reason the are shouting is it's like a big football game. There's been hundreds of thousands of people lighting all the, the and then, and then when that guy goes and he falls into the bushes, he gets off, busted up. They go, oh. they go, oh, hey, which means, oh, shucks. And if the <laughs> guy gets down to the bottom, they go, they go, my kai. And they, you have a hundred thousand people, you know, shouting for oh these game. And there's you'll be arm wrestling and all these contests, spear throwing. A yeah. uh, arrow, and uh, there'd be hula, and all of these games, There'd be guessing games like chess too, like they could mm-hmm. call um, Konani stones. So anyway, that this this was all probably. So it was during these times that uh, that that um, in the olden days. But the, the missionaries did away with all that. They thought it was all heathen. <laughs> right. Even the oh, hula, that's... they actually had banned the hula, and it was until... Uh, 1860s. That uh, when David Kalakaua took over, that he reinstated the hula and all the Hawaiian cultural things. In fact, yeah. in the 30s and around there, they, they, they took down all the ancient heales and uh, the sacrifices places. away oh, with this. But the Hawaiian uh, culture went underground. Yeah. So we still practice, as I say, the dark side. <laughs> right. <laughs> we right. Were, we we're Mormons and Christians, and not, and not only that. My grandmother wanted us to uh, go to this all Hawaiian school in Honolulu. So we're yeah. from Kota. So she took 26 of us cousins. We, uh, we were into the house. My, my dad and my uncles worked for uh, Fish and Wildlife, and they worked for the government. They yeah. actually worked on an atomic bomb. No kidding. Kwajalein, Anui talk, and all that. When they shut them off in the in the Pacific, like it was my Greek and, uh, father, folks who, not uh, my dad, who was, who was part of that. So all the... They, and then when the fish came floating up, they ate all the fish. So all of my, my uncles and my dad became infected with- uh, um,
1: Radiation or whatever. Radiation,
2: they all died young. So that's oh. why we were oh. raised by great-grandparents. So I went to this all Hawaiian school in Hon- Honolulu called Kamehameha, you know? And there's uh, all 26 tribes, but only two got in, my, myself and my oldest brother. I was only four <laughs> really? years old. I don't even know what the, 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 the test was, you know? What can you do at four years old? <laughs> exactly.
1: So wait, so your, your father and all his brothers or whatever, they were, were they studying science somewhere? Like what was their involved with nuclear- No, no, no. Nuclear... My, my,
2: my, my father uh, was a cowboy for, part, uh, for uh, Michaelis Ranch Ranches. Uh, we remember, we we're also cowboys. I come from a family of cowboys. Right. So my dad was so, so... a break horse, But he learned how to do a uh, diesel. He learned how to take apart motors and he fixed all the diesel uh, caterpillars and stuff that. So they needed diesel mechanics. Oh, so wow. he knew how to fix it. That's how he ended up with And he took his, his brothers with him along because they needed other helpers too, yeah? Yeah. So, 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 so they would uh, build up all of these structures on the Inuit you know, talk and all of that. Then they'd bomb them, you know? Right. And then, as and as but,
1: tests. Nu- right. The nuclear tests. This and is the, like and the and 50s. these
2: guys would go back over there and rebuild them all again and they'd bomb them again.
1: Oh, my God. Yeah, was, so that's
2: that, what, what island
1: was that on where they were doing all that? They,
2: they, they a, all I know is he went to Quadrant and then we talked the bikini islands. I don't know, I know the rest is all top secret, you know. I don't know right, what right. But all, wow. all I know is they died young. They, they died before they were even 50 50 years old.
1: Oh, that's from tar- my that's, that's a
2: total tragedy. Yeah, my hmm. uncle. That's why we were raised by my great grandparents, and then not only that. You know, through the years they went back and forth. You know, they went back and forth. My whole life, my my dad was away uh, almost 18 months out of the year. Then he come home for six months. Then he go back for another 18 months, and he did that for most of his life wow. until he got ordered that he worked. Then he stayed home and he worked for fish and wildlife here in yeah. Hawaii again as a diesel mechanic.
1: <laughs> wow. So who was, the, who was the one that you learned to play guitar from more than anyone else? Or was it just like everybody was playing?
2: No, my, my great-grandfather, uh, because my dad was never around, I was t- trained by my grandfather. But remember, I had all these 26 cousins. Yeah. yeah we all could play any instrument there was. But really? I, there's a cousin who was two years old, for, older than me, Michael Naihe. Uh-huh. And he was the one who stayed back with my great-grandmother in, in Kona. You know, and it, uh, and uh, and the rest of us went to Honolulu. So he learned slacky the best from my great grandfather.
3: Oh,
1: okay. And
2: then when we got older, you know, in, in my when I was 11, 12 years old, I got I reconnected with my cousin Michael. So he he retrained me in all the stuff that I learned. I actually played uh, slacky ukulele first. We all played really? slacky ukulele, slacky mandolin, slacky whatever. About we were 19, 11, 0, then 1911, then fingers big enough, then I transferred that same teaching to the, the, the guitar. But now we added the bass, you know? Right, right. So basically, slacky is slackening the strings, and you play bass, rhythm, three guitars on one guitar. You play bass, rhythm, and lead all in on one guitar by loosening the strings. And there's, there's hundreds of tunings. And my grandfather had uh, his tuning, actually, my great-grandfather's tuning was an E-flat because he tuned to his voice.
1: Oh, okay, interesting. Yeah? yeah.
2: So that's how I played. But then when you start playing with the other players, and then and you go to school, nobody can play in E flat. You know, how do you play right. a guitar in E flat? How do you play a ukulele E flat? And he, I mean, you can play saxophone in the E flat. You know what I mean? Yeah. But you violin and all of that. So I ended up um, turning my guitar to F, so that I can play with other players. So can you can you tell me what the tuning is, or is it is it? No, no, no. no. It's secret. It's okay, the tuning okay. is. C F C F A C tuning, that's the tuning I play in most times. Okay. Okay. And with that yeah. tuning, I can play in any key. Right. I don't have to use a capo. I can play in C, E, E flat, G, anything else. So if I play in E flat, then I, I, then if I want to play in A, then I gotta, you know, I use my thumb. I mean, uh, my finger to to uh to on the first fret. Then I will come to E and then F. But it's easier to do to, to play in F than. Than to, it is to play in E flat. So I tune my guitar to F. Got a lot of play, and I started playing with these other ukulele players like Etie, Gino, Chiave, uh, Uncle Vicherope, and it, they 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 modulate, but they always start off in F, then they go to G, then they go to A, then they end up in C. So it's easier for me to, to tune my guitar to F. <laughs> so a lot of a lot of
1: a lot of traditional players are play in, in the key of F. That's a that's no, a- no.
2: They're playing G because okay, this yeah. is the thing. Remember I told you those Argentine guys who came over? Yep. Okay. Their tuning G. was the D G D G. In fact, if you go to Argentina, they are still playing the same tuning till today.
1: Right. Right. That's so. It's D G D G B D.
2: <laughs> right. Right. And you and know, then, that and then some like,
1: slack guys, some slack key guys, change the the middle G to an F sharp, right?
2: Right, then you get that 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 that, that hammer on where you got to do that hammer on that we call it wahine tuning. So it's one finger tuning. Right, now right. the banjo is tuned the four last strings just like the, the the so I can play banjo really easy too because you know yeah. the, the same fingering everything like that. So you yeah. see how it's all tied in, and even the steel guitar. Okay, the steel guitar was born. Was uh, this guy um, Kikuku him and his, and and what happened is Joseph. that Joseph Kikuku. He was going along a railroad track, okay, and they they, they found one of those rear, railroad ties, okay, and and they, they, he was playing slacky guitar all the way up until uh, I was uh, I think seventeen seventy eight or 1800s. So he went he, when he went to school at Kumiya Just by accident, he dropped that, that 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 railroad tie on his guitar, and he went cheer, and made a bomb. <laughs> So he he played with the railroad tie, uh, not the tie. Yeah, it's it's one of those spikes that you put into the.
1: Yeah, that's a heavy slide, man.
2: Yeah, so that's that's what he used in the beginning, and, and then he he went he went to community school, and he what he did is he he took off all the edges. So the railroad tie is kind of square, so he made it round and he made it fit his hand so that he he invented the... and then later on, you know, and and then and then and then he traveled around the. The, the world. And then another guy, Saul Hopi, picked up on that too. And he's, then and he's, he's one of my heroes for, for sure. And they played, they played, they, they, uh, and you know, they played for the World's Fair. And those days they would travel by train all across to New York, you know, for the New York uh, World's Fair and all like that. So as they're going along, they're meeting, they're, they're playing, stopping in these little towns and everything. They saw so they'd have these jam sessions with all the blacks and all those guys. That's how those guys picked up the. The the the, swing the tunes. right the the, yeah. the 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 steel guitar, you know, all over there, and then uh, I, I mean, even uh, even the the you know the the southern guys, the the country west, they play steel guitar. Totally, it's almost the same tuning that, but it's, yep. it was started from those guys.
1: It's really interesting to see, like. After that expo happened, I think it was 1927 or something. The, right. Where Ho P sort of took off, and then he and then he influenced all of America really with his playing. But also he was influenced by the by the songs because he started playing like Irving Berlin songs and stuff like that after that after that year. Suddenly he was playing jazz tunes, which is really
2: interesting too. Yeah, yeah. In fact, he started incorporating jazz tunes into Hawaiian melodies. Yeah. You know, like Sweet lay, that, that that's Those are all jazz tunes, you know. We would never I play. Know. I Because our that's only. You want? Can I grab my guitar and just show you? Uh, sure, please do. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Well, I'll, sh- I'll show you. Let me go get my pick in one of my guitars. Okay.
1: So, so why F? I, I'm am still not clear. Like,
2: why not G? Why F? Remember, I told you I played with uh with with all these guys who modulated. Let's, yeah. let's say you let's say you're playing in a slacky um F in G. Yeah. Now, now you gotta hold too many fingers, you gotta go around and everything like <laughs> that. I'll go show you right now with my guitar. Okay. All
1: right, good. Great. Do you have a a C on the bottom? That's that's your little yeah, C
2: C F C F A C F. Okay. You wanna get a guitar? You wanna play along?
1: Sure. Well, actually, with Zoom, there's like a weird delay, so I can't really
2: <laughs> oh, okay. sound really okay. weird. I am yeah. <laughs> deaf from 1,200 beats for 20 years. So I'm kind of deaf, so I, I tune by, uh, by sight, like by ear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so let's say I'm in F. So I'll go see. Uh, let's see You would see um So we started with F. <laughs> A little apart. Come here, Mamma, ea for you and I. Then he said, Kina cheek. Kawila ma, ke he neke on the coquino. Come here, Mamma, for you and I. Then tu go to I always oh, submit. Our lips, not yet. You see how you see this? Just a little boy. For you and I, not to see. No less is CC. I know my God. I call it a little bit. Come here, Maui. You see how it's easier to, yeah. to, to say, that if I was a G, then how the hell am I going to find F? Then I got to go backwards right like <laughs> down here. You see what I mean?
1: Yeah, yeah, of course. So
2: yeah. it's easier for me to to F that go just just modulate that right. in this bar card that doggone thing to you.
1: This show is brought to you by the good folks at Isotope, who make incredible plug-in software for any music or dialogue recording situation. Among other things, they make a very unique suite of software called RX, which you can use to surgically repair almost any kind of issue in a recording, whether it's removing electrical hum, unwanted noise, vocal plosives, or almost anything you can throw at it. I use Isotope RX on every mix in one way or another, and I love that I can get in there on guitar tracks that I'm doing and running through my crazy old tube amps and get rid of the hum and noise without affecting the actual tone of the guitar. You can buy their plugins outright or get a subscription to keep up to date on all their latest versions. Right now, they're offering listeners a 10% discount on any of their plugins when you use the code soulpod10 at checkout. So head on over to isotopecom soulpod, and you'll see the links right there to get the discount or an extended 30-day trial of their subscription service of Music Production Suite Pro. We're also brought to you this season by Black Mountain Picks. These are unique spring-loaded thumb picks that are super comfortable and adaptable. I've been using them for a couple years now and I absolutely love them. They come in medium gauge, heavy gauge, jazz tipped, left-handed, and with regular or extra tight spring tension. Check them out at blackmountainpicks.com. Also thanks to Ear Trumpet Labs, a workshop in Portland, Oregon, hand-building amazing sounding microphones. These large diaphragm condensers combine state-of-the-art sound with eye-catching designs, and the feedback control to excel live as well as in the studio. I am using their Edwina myself right now on this podcast. Check them out at eartrumpetlabs.com. And finally, the Hen House Hang. It's a four-day immersive recording experience right here with me at the Hen House Studio in East Nashville on September 19 to 22nd, 2022. Join us for a musical learning experience like no other. We'll put you up in a groovy hotel, feed you some glorious food, show you the ropes of recording roots in Americana music by bringing you in on a real session with real musicians working on real songs from the ground up. You can get all the info on that at stevedawson.ca. Just follow the links on the front page to the Hen House Hang. All right then, let's get back to the show. When you do that, the the two five one, the turnaround thing, like that thing. Right. Hawaii, is, it, is that called the turnaround in Hawaiian music or yeah, do you have a it's, different term for
2: it? It's, it's actually the vamp. Okay, that, that part is really important because it's it's for the hula, really. Okay. The hula needs a a, a break in between so they know which verse is coming to next bird. That's what it's for. That's why they go da 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 Then they go to the next person. That's just just a break so you know the next person's coming. That's the only reason for that. Because it usually
1: it usually repeats two or three times. Like I know it as uh
2: Yeah they do they do that two times just so that they can yeah. Well, that's good because that's a turnaround so that it, they know that it's time to um, to uh, you know for the next verse to come on. That's okay. great. So you, that's all it is.
1: Yeah, yeah. And nice.
2: they, they, they they incorporated that hula into the, all of the music. Now, now all of the music uh, Hawaiian music has a turnaround inside of it. You know.
1: Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Um. So how how did you end up playing the twelve string? Because that's uh, that's sort of a unique thing, right?
2: Okay what happened is when I was a young boy um, I saw Peter Paul and Mary oh, yeah <laughs> at the Waikiki show there's like 20,000 people we we're yeah. listening to Peter Paul I was like maybe 10 11 years old and I saw a 12 string I think I, someone was playing this I can't even remember who I didn't you know
1: one of those guys
2: right and I said I'm going to get myself a 12 string so so I went to the I actually went to the mainland and I met I met a guy uh Tom Walter and uh-huh. Tom Walter had a tall string so I got to play his plus string you know while I was going to school in 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 Oakland where I, was, I went to school in the 60s 68 to 74 I went to school in, in uh Berkeley in Oakland California I, met, I read about my that, degrees yeah. in art I used to, I used to cast bronze uh, cool. ceramics, drawing and painting that's that's that, that's really my trade yeah not music but yeah, I right. was music remember the music was like I mean, even uh, we did a sit-in at Telegraph Avenue, Vietnam War. I played with Janis Joplin. Whoa! Yeah, a place called Cody's Bookstore on really? Telegraph Avenue. I don't know if it's still there. And then, and then also with construction, you know, during that time, I had this friend, um, Sylvester Marshall, and uh, we used to uh, lay pipe together. I was a pipe fitter too. Yeah. Uh, we, we built the whole port of oakland. we laid in all the sewage, the water pipes the the, the. and so Sylvester had a blues bar in Seventh Street in Oakland in a okay. bad part of town you know and they, they, and they, just so they had they had a nice uh, nice street um farmers' market i mean it's uh, like a whole block of open you know they get fish and pork and live it's like an open market and uh so BB King got to was playing blues music at his blues bar Sylvester and, when, and I played with B.B. King too and Bill, the other thing that I had to with B.B. King's, we love to cook. Now B.B. King actually traveled with five suitcases besides his guitar. Yeah you know, I forget it. Lucio was his guitar? Yeah. Lucille had a real suitcase with, with um, clothes in it and the rest of the suitcases was pots and pans and his cooking stove. Really? He traveled with a <laughs> with a Coleman cooking stove, and he cooked it. his own food wherever he went. Wow! That's that guy cool. can cook. So you know, so so you know, we go. I go to play in this bull's bar, and so wait
1: are are you playing? Are you playing slack key there? Or, or I play that slack point? key. Yeah, he okay, plays yeah. Slack
2: key. He, he plays mostly in E. So yeah. I, you know, and remember, I was a the E flat in those days. So I just my guitar to E. it's easy okay. to just yeah. play here you know what yeah. I mean and then, and he hardly modulates he just you know plays yeah. it so I played I played an here and I could play. but but the amazing thing is we go over to the market and he buy these he buy like you know, 10 15 pounds 20 pounds of ham hocks yeah and he bought it he had his big pots he put them inside of there he made his turn up greens and he he I mean I, that's where I didn't know that you could make uh, black eyed peas in us. For us in Hawaii, it comes in a can. Right. But right. he buy the fresh beans, you know, and then he'd soak it overnight and put salt in it, all this stuff. And I, I never ate okra before in my life until I met B.B. King. I ate fried okra and he'd That's even crazy, man. I mean, we left the intestines of the animals, you know, but he made fried chitins and black eyed yeah. peas and this ham hocks and uh, Oh, so, man. So
1: he would come through Oakland for like, he'd do like a week of shows or something? Yeah, and he'd hang yeah but out he well-
2: do a week of shows there at that blues bar in Seventh Street. So he'd be there and, uh, and and uh, you know. It, were you opening for him or were you, were you no, like sitting in? No, no, in I just, I, I, just played, he, I only get on the stage and play with him live. He'd do his own show, you know, he had his own thing going. But then, you know, when we're cooking, and if we're waiting for this thing to ball down. Then we just jam, you know.
1: Awesome. That is something I I wish you'd recorded that. I'd love to hear that, man. That's uh, You
2: know, we didn't even have <laughs> iPhones or you know. Yeah. I had a tape recorder. That's about it. You know. Uh, but I didn't. Wow. Think, I didn't think about recording those things. You know, when you when you you. The only thing that would is make like, a
1: great combo, like the real traditional electric Chicago blues with some with some uh, slack key. That would be a key. great combo.
2: Well, the only I think I recorded, you know, is on my uh my lesson, my my boring uh lectures. So tell me what's going on with your
1: right hand. You've got a thumb pick on. You don't use finger yeah, picks yes.
2: at all. I, well, before I oh, used you to use... all five fingers, yeah, but oh, I ran okay. a slaughterhouse and we we're cutting. I cut down here, so I cut these. So these three fingers, yeah, I, I lost. Uh, the, I cut it actually right down here, and it, so I lost the fingers, and it took me years to get them back in there. But then. In the, in the, in the two or three years it took me to read your belly I learned how to play with, only with two fingers better. <laughs>
1: okay. So so it's thumb and index finger is most yeah, of Yeah, that's all
2: the... so I start playing. So play this, so this is bass, this play bass. and this is doing the like what we call brush? Da, 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 now uh, here's, here's one of those uh Sal Hopi tools called um, and this is a jazz tool. <laughs> Sweet Lake Kalihua. Bob used to love this song. Sweet Lake <laughs> Oh, <Sings> sweet lady, Rose <road Sings> Lani, oh, yeah, sweet lady, I forgot what flower it was, <laughs> <Sings> Sweet Now there's also a verse that goes, which means let the breath of the song live for generations to come. Remove the, remove the kapu or the sacredness for all to sing so the song can live. And some songs are so sacred you cannot you know, share it. But this is the one that you can. So haine my kapuana sweet lake call
3: yeah, so that's really
1: <laughs> beautiful. Love it. As far as the the material that you play, were you pretty much self taught, or did you did you ever sit down with rec- like did you learn from like Gabby Pahinui records or anything like that? Was he an influence well, on you?
2: Well, let me tell you, it's actually the opposite. Uh, Gabby Pahinui learned from my guy Brown, okay, and yeah. Brown uh, and and Brown was one of my my, my great grandmother's first cousins. Who played Slacky? Because oh. Gabby, Gabby, wasn't actually a, 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 a uh at all. He was a Hanai to the Pahinui family. He was a Kaha, oh. Kahawai. Yeah. So he so 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 he he learned that Slacky from our family.
1: Oh wow, that's
2: crazy. Yeah. And then and, and the Tutunis he learned came from Waipio Valley and all like that. So, so but but his his original family came from the big island, but it was night to the Pahinois, yeah.
1: Oh wow, okay.
2: Neat. So that's so the so the tunings that that but yes I would listen to his uh, albums as well, like even He Love It, a song he t- came was actually written by by um by um Stem Lea. It was actually mm-hmm. from the big so all of these the tunings, and they're actually like there there were actually chants, you know, like like heat love is like this. <laughs> there's all these chess cards so I'm training, you know, my great-grandfather, mother was uh, uh, my, my grandmother was one of the students of uh, Anton Kao and Anko was the, uh, the hula instructor for King David Kalakawa. <laughs> Wow! So my grandmothers uh, were trained by Kau'o, Anton Kau'o, uh, in the twenties, 1920s, how to do the hula and all like that. And they survived, believe it or not, they survived um, because, you know, nobody in those days paid you to do the hula. Right. So this, they survived uh, the t- tradition by making okolehau, which is what, what, what white is that? lightning, white lightning. Oh, I'm, they're hooch. 180 proof green frame out of the tea leaf. See wherever this plant called the tea leaf? I'll show you pictures of it later on. Yeah. The root underneath, they would boil it and steam the root. and come out black like molasses, really sweet. And they'd add um, yeast to that, and then they'd ferment it. It would drip, come out white lightning. you Wow. Know?
0: Yeah, wow, so that's amazing. how
2: they made that the, the money is like underground, uh like hooch, you know, for all the stealers, the wheelers came over, got them all. was there
1: prohibition in Hawaii at some of point? Of course, there
2: was prohibition there was? over it. All, this, okay. you know, all those, I didn't all know, those, know that affected guys, you guys, you know, sir. All the Mormons, the, the Protestants, oh, right, of course. all of those yeah. guys, you know, they, they didn't want any of us. But 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 my grandmother was a Protestant. Yeah. <laughs> so she's all they they drank. But uh I gotta even tell you the story about how we became so we went to Honolulu, 26 of us cousins, and, and it's it's hard to feed a lot of kids, you know, like that. So we became Catholics. <laughs> we got up, became Catholics because they served pancake breakfast and uh, <laughs> orange juice and scrambled eggs for That's breakfast. a good reason. Yeah, sure. At 6 o'clock in no. the morning. And then at noon, we became Mormons because they served <laughs> tuna sandwich and, uh, and orange exchange juice. You know, they can buy one can and mix it with 10 cans of water. <laughs> But uh so we that's not, and then in the afternoon we became our holy rollers that uh the 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 um the Filipinos had this Holy Roller church and they say this all these Tesla's all these uh, a coconut with the mochi and uh, rice uh pudding desserts. Then once a month they'd have this big luau at the Protestant church and so we became Protestants once a month. <laughs> And then once a year... well, wow, you guys these,
1: converted a lot.
2: Yeah, and then once a year, they'd have these big bond dances, the Buddhists, you know, where they, where they, they, they celebrate the, the the coming year and uh, the death, you know. So they'd have free rice balls with dried uh, dried fish and stuff like that and uh, pickled vegetables. So, of course, we became Buddhists and we would, did the bond dances and everything like that. <laughs> and then, That's amazing, man. And then we, li- we we lived in the Power Valley in Honolulu. It's next to the Chinese graveyard, so whenever we hear this the 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 graveyard um, fireworks, then that that means that's the end of their their funeral. They're yeah, it's and party And
3: then, time. then they,
2: they, the party's over, then they leave leaving. But on the graveyard, they leave whole roasted pigs, ducks, oranges, Whoa. all these fruits, money and coins. They wrap money in for for the the, the you know. The, the, they cease to go on to the next world. Of for the ferryman. you be waiting because, you know, there'd be 200 kids, but they're waiting for them just to leave <laughs> <laughs> so we could eat all of that stuff. You know, they'd have this, oh you know, these dumplings, uh, uh, chow siu bao and, you know, manapua uh-huh. and all of that. I mean, the thing would be loaded. Like, this is a journey for, you know, you could feed probably about 50 people wow. with all of the food. And so we'd go over there and we raid the gardens. And nowhere, nowhere, <laughs> nowhere. Wherever we were, I mean, that valley was big. You know, it's, yeah. it was about, about five miles and about two miles wide. But when you hear the firecrackers, man, we just drop everything. We start running as fast as we can. <laughs> get in line, man, to get out of love food. that. That's <laughs> so, amazing. So that's the kind of that, that and that, this is how we grow up with the, with the music. And, of, of course, we, are, we, we heard had, uh, something we call ohana at every night, you know. And during this Ohana, we do something called Ho-pun-pun, which means to to make right. And we go around the room, and uh, and it's based on four concepts: Number one, I love you. I'm sorry if I did anything wrong. Please forgive me. And I'm thankful for this. So we do this every night. Each of our members, our family, go around and around, and you do this thing. And at the end of it all, of course, we play music. Right. So we got to practice all of this stuff all the time, every day. This is, that was a church.
1: Were, were you ever performing for uh, like paid audiences at that point? Or were, was it just like a family thing that you were doing? No, it
2: was a family thing. We never got okay. paid for it. Okay. I got started getting paid at 11 years old. Oh, that's a good age. What happened is I wasn't really paid. It was like tips. <laughs> <laughs> sure, That's the same thing. So, so anyway, in my family, I was always the. Even though I was in the oldest, I was probably number eleven out of in age-wise from you know the youngest all the way up to twenty six years. But I was always the one who's always. Uh, I was very sickly when I was young. I I, I almost died, so I had um, asthma. So oh, my wow. grandmother kept me close to her side. I couldn't go work with the other kids. So I always felt like I had to prove myself. In fact, my one of my classmates, uh, came up, Spencer, said, "You know, George, you're an overachiever because." At my age, I'm almost seventy-two years old. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm still killing pig. The other day, I killed pig. I'm still uh, roping cattle and all like that. You're doing so, it, they're yeah. still doing it. And the thing is, because I, I, I was, I'm, I am an overachiever because I had to prove to my other cousins, twenty-six, that I right. was just as good as them because they were doing all the work. So I was there always sickly and all the time. But when I reached eleven years old, my grandmother finally let me go out. So I started to swim. I Started to surf, I started to do all these things. So, at 11 years old, we went over to my auntie's house in um, the neighbor housing, and she was also a babysitter of us. So, she had to push more. She said, Okay, I'll give our guests, she's going to give us 50 cents to mow her lawn. (laughs) We mowed her lawn with the you know, the old push, but
1: sure, I got
2: (laughs) this. So, I mowed this lawn. She gives me 50 cents. Then, her neighbor says, Okay, can you do my lawn? Next thing you know. We have 200 lawns, business. the naval housing. Because if we didn't mow the lawn, the naval would housing would send their crew and you gotta pay two bucks.
1: Oh yeah, bargain.
2: Right. So we were the bargain guys then. So we come over every weekend and we, we move and then we start with the push more. Then eventually I bought one, uh, one. But I was the guy who got us all started in those businesses. Yeah. Okay. Then 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 she moved off the of island. She she was in a naval housing. And my 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 uncle Jimmy got stationed in Okinawa, so they live, so that there we didn't have a connection. We had no reason to go to naval housing, so then my dad got me a job working washing cars. He got all you know, and for for ten cents of a dollar, that was my first job. You get to wash the car, then you got to whisper You ever tried whisper sand out of the with a whisper off the carpet? Oh yeah, it's, sure. It
1: it's a forever. it's a
2: killer. It's not that easy. All yeah. those tourists. Then You got to put one can, one, one coat of turtle wax around that whole car, then you <laughs> get a tenth of a dollar. Okay? Whoa. So, my goal on a Friday afternoon, at, I think it was 11, 12, 13 years old, was to do 10 cars, make one dollar. And yes. then on Saturday, I go do I, I get a longer day so I can do 30 cars and make three bucks. Whoa. So, doing one <laughs> of my uh breaks, I'm, I went to my slacky Italian no, 11 12 door I played slacky. <laughs> A song I learned from my grandfather. Stop playing this song. One and one breaks.
3: Thank you.
2: Okay, and next to the delivery was a strip joint called the Forbidden City. <laughs> from 10 o'clock at, to, at night to uh, six in the morning, it was like where all the, the sailors, the, uh, yeah. uh, the-
1: It was quite, the, quite a scene there, I bet.
2: From 10 o'clock at night now to six in the but from three in the afternoon to eight o'clock at night on a Friday and Saturday is where they'd have a uh, 10 cents, a pitcher of beer, and they'd have free poo-poo's, they have spam and cabbage. Mm. Spam and beans, spam and onions, and boiled peanuts, <laughs> and the place was packed. Two to three. So thousand, much spam! You know, Steve, the workers—they're they really, They're building a Waikiki at the time, yeah, building the yeah. hotels. So they all go over to, to uh, Forbidden City to, to 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 drink beer and, and have beautiful food foods after that, you know at, at three o'clock in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. So they heard me playing my guitar. This is like six o'clock at night. You know, I'm you're, you're just sitting time. there
1: outside playing or what?
2: Yeah, yeah, I'm just sitting, doing one of the breaks. There's no cars to wash. I'm just sitting playing yeah. my girl. And then the guys come out for smoke, right? Next door yeah. to the city. He hear me play. They say, hey, come inside, do what's on? I'm shy and scared, but they said, okay, come inside. So they invite me. And playing there was a the great Sam Kapoor Jr. And uh, a Squeely Kui Lee. Kui Lee wrote the, wrote the song, uh, i Remember You for, uh, for Don Ho. Now, Kui Lee's okay. young. You know, yeah. he's young. He's, uh, he's in his 20s. And I, I'm only 11, you know, 12, 13 years old. I go in, I do that one song. This is the one song. It took me the next three minutes. And those construction doors, in those days, they had real silver dollars. Oh, wow. They, they start throwing money on that stage. And went for one three-minute song, at 11, 12, 13 years old, I, don't know, I make $27 in 10 cents in tips.
1: Oh, man. So that's it for you for washing that cars, That was I've my met.
2: first paid <laughs> gig, if you want to call it that. Okay? So at 11, 12, I said, Three songs, 27 000. It's like working one month at Lippia Spin that's busting my ass. You know, yeah, just to, so I, right then I decided, shit, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. Man. <laughs> I'm going to learn how to do music. Did you song. start
1: going down there like every weekend and playing and I know, playing I for know, tips?
2: I play, I'm, I'm washing cars now on Fridays and Saturdays. So if I come on a Friday and they see me, they come in, hey, come on, do a song. So I'm playing there almost two, two nights a week. And not, not nights, I have two songs, six right. minutes. Yeah, and yeah. I'm making like sometimes 10, 11 bucks, sometimes 50, sometimes seven. One time I made $120 Whoa. tips.
3: Yeah, yeah.
2: So, and, and in, in those die days, you could buy a hundred pound of bag of rice for $2. So you Man. see the value?
1: Yeah, hundred bucks will take you a long way. Yeah, yeah. Did that turn into getting like regular gigs or did you just kind of okay, keep going okay, back okay. there and playing for tips? No, no,
2: no, I remember. It was, I was 11 years old when that happened because- when I was 13, I got so good, I, was, I, I joined a group called the Climax Five. I was the youngest uh, 13 yeah. they were, they were. It was a high school band. Uh, guys, I didn't even know what Climax was, but I was part of the band. <laughs> we entered the Battle of the Bands, Waikiki Shell, 20,000 people. We took second place. Amazing. So then, then now we were hired by all the teenage clubs to go play. On, on, and are on, you still
1: playing acoustic slacky, or were you playing like electric guitar or something?
2: I could play anything, but I, I, I my mom actually bought me a Mustang and a, and a Stratocaster, oh, cool. so okay. I played, I played everything. I played everything in slack key. I played yeah. Mustang Sally. Yeah, Mustang Sally. But remember, I was tuned to E. <laughs> right. I think you're better slow. You must. I didn't. I didn't play after like the ni- 1995, 1996. I was playing okay. E and E flat all those years. Mustang yep. Sally, baby. <laughs> I think you're better slow. You must Get a little a, little, a I have to put your big beat on the ground.
1: You should make a record of Wilson Pickett tunes, man. What? You should make an album of Wilson Pickett songs.
2: All I want to do is ride along, Sally. Ride, Sally,
1: ride. Love.
2: But you get the idea, you know. <laughs> yeah. I Hey,
1: so so were you were you influenced at all by like Mississippi John Hurt or some of the like acoustic blues players and stuff as well, or not
2: really? No, I never. I just yeah. sunshine. On a cloudy day. And it's cold outside. <laughs>
3: just
2: stay there keep playing <laughs> and I would do this song all the time. He loves us. I let him just go for it. Yeah, just hold this key all the night. Yeah. Because didn't make this last song last for 20 minutes, you know? Sure. <laughs> but then, then, you know, there's all that kind of stuff, but, but I learned everything. I played everything is slacky.
1: Yeah. Everything. Yeah.
2: So when you started recording
1: for Dancing Cat, that was like in the early 90s, right?
2: Right. Uh. Yeah, Mid mid-90s.
1: That record Drenched by Music, is that the first one that you did for them?
2: Yeah. And then you see, my brother and I uh we went to Grazio on the big island. Yeah. And and somebody was selling this uh this TAC four track. Okay. And it said uh the same uh uh recording system used by the Beatles. Yeah. So we so impressed. So my brother and I did uh we did about seven, maybe twelve albums on our own on the little machine, and they only have oh, four cool. tracks. We didn't need. have, we didn't even have electricity where we lived. We had a generator, <laughs> really. <laughs> and then I was digging a hole to make a cesspool, you know, for for for, for we were building our, our family home again. So what I did, I, I sunk because it made too much damn noise the generator. So I sunk it down into a, the, the, the cesspool hole, thirty feet. Yeah. Put some iron roof on it. Then I threw a couple of mattresses on just to to muff that sound. So, and then my brother would use his toes to get that and then. We recorded the first <laughs> albums all in that that uh, that uh, acted So wow, where, where can you get those?
1: Are they are they available? Know. I
2: don't know. But it was all on those. We only had uh, I think it was like seven and a half minutes of tape on each. You know, and then so we had to. You know, we we, we were perfectionists. We could do two songs in each tape. Yeah. And we were one take only. You know, we 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 practiced right. we like did, did it. And then and then I think we put out cassettes at the time. So we uh, okay. So we, and we played at Monaco Beach Hotel now. This is the five-star hotel that was owned by United Airlines. So we're traveling the world, playing all these Amazing. expenses. Yeah, yeah. And
3: then
2: so we would sell our cassettes of this this thing. And uh, I think it cost like um, 50 cents to a dollar for cassette. And yeah. we'd sell it for five, six bucks, whatever it was, you know. Sure. But yeah, we sell hundreds, hundreds of them. And then yeah. we started selling them at the stores. And then we sell them to our family, you know.
1: How did the relationship come about with George Winston? Like, was okay. he, did he come over to the islands and was looking yeah, for he, people we, like you? We yeah, he all
2: these slacky vessels in Honolulu and everything. So he started coming to him. He heard my brother and I. Yeah. So, so you know, I was too busy. My brother recorded with him first. My brother's yeah. album sold almost $4 million in one. Whoa. Week. That's Moses. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Because George Winston was, was distributed by uh, uh, BMG. Okay. His company was uh, uh, Dancing Cat, but it was affiliated with Wyndham Hill. Yep, yep. Okay, and Wyndham Hill was uh, was distributed by uh, BMG, so he so he cut a deal with um, with Wyndham Hill. You want any more of my recordings, you got to release whatever I do on Dancing Cat on the BMG label, and it, the same distribution. My album, Dressing Cat, sold $4 million in less than three weeks. We're in 55 countries on the radio now, now we're being held, uh, uh, NPR and other radio stations and uh, yep. Canada, great Britain, they're hearing us. So it's George made us famous now, we're doing tours. Instead of playing for 50 bucks a night, you know, yeah. in a hotel or, you know, a bar, we're going to, I played the Carnegie Hall twice. Each gig, $50,000 instead of making 50 bucks a night, $50,000 <laughs> in one night. You see the difference? That's
1: incredible. Yeah, I see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, so he so that was a real game changer then for for everybody sort of playing that kind of music.
2: Not only that, he he'd pay us a uh, hundred bucks an hour for going into the studio recording. Yeah, I, I probably made two hundred fifty thousand dollars of studio times because George would say he was he was interested in the only the music. He'd say, okay, um, play this one song in a hundred different tunings. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So okay. then, you know, I could sit on night. I could play one song. One time I played one song for 12 hours and I got paid 1200 bucks. <laughs> so wow, I wish to I could kaki, do that. Dee, 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 you know what I mean? Yeah. And he didn't Amazing. Care what he, did. He, was, he was really like a librarian. He wasn't recording us yeah. through. So did he, have a, did he have a studio on Maui or something? No, or- no, no. What he did is he, he would rent a studio for like, you know, uh, 5000 a day or whatever. And he'd bring us all in. He bring all of the different artists. Led would go there, and well, anyway, this one guy that we all learned from um, had uh, had uh, epilepsy, so he couldn't go on to tour. But 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 he was the best guitar uh, player. I can't even think of his name right now. Um, Led plays a lot of his song "Opie Moi and stuff like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. But he started recording over Sunny uh, Sunny Chillingsworth.
1: Was that on the mainland? Were you guys flying in? No, no, the no, no. Oh, I was here.
2: We'd, well, well, we'd record in Honolulu. Okay. Then, then then when we started touring the mainland on the way back home, he said, okay, I'm going to book the whole week. So I'd pay 12 hours a day for a whole week. And he paid me 1200 bucks a day. Sweet. I go to the studio at six o'clock at night and I come out of the studio at six o'clock in the morning.
1: So he's in Santa Cruz, right? That's where he lives, I think. Yeah,
2: yeah. but but the studio okay. was in uh, Diffie Fur was located in San Francisco.
1: Oh, different fur. Okay, I know that place.
2: Yeah, different fur. And, and what, I forget the guy's name. We call him uh, Hojo Howard Johnson. Yeah, you know Howard Johnson did all of the stuff for BB King. Uh, Do you mean the the tuba player Howard Johnson? No, no. Uh, he was a he was a a, a studio like, guy. He okay, did the Beatles. He did the uh, you know the Kinks. Uh, what? What? Anyway, he, he did all these blues bands. He did uh, Santana. Okay. He was the, the the student, and and it was it, it was in different fur in San Francisco across the street. I remember there was a, a place I I can't remember all the places because I love to eat, it, <laughs> you know, and and I I even talked to the guy. I would bring my own fish from the from from over here, a really? big fish, I'd ship, him stuff, and he'd cook it up for me. So I'd, I'd be in the studio, and I come yeah. out, and you know, you know, a big fish, a big pork, all kinds of stuff over there.
3: Oh, wow, cool, we cook, yeah.
1: There's a song on that on that first record you did with him called Queen's Jubilee that like is is that an original song of yours or is that no, a traditional No, no,
2: that th- song was written by Queen Liliuokalani in 191877 for the Queen's Jubilee for Queen Victoria.
1: That for me is like one of my favorite slack key pieces of all time. I, I your recording of it. I I love that recording.
2: Okay, let me tell you what happened is I got to play the same song. Remember I went to Queen the that's Jubilee, in nineteen seventy-seven. I played the same song for Queen of England, and Whoa. that's what got me my ticket to, to learn about uh, George. Uh, how I, my name was George Kahumoku. Yeah,
3: yeah,
1: amazing.
2: So, 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 isn't that an amazing story yeah.
1: too? Yeah. So is that a is that a really traditional song, or was is that your arrangement that's different from other people's arrangement of it? Why
2: Queen Queen Ilukolani wrote wrote that song, and you know, uh, I play slack in the, and we all do like like jazz. Mm-hmm. There's no, there's no, we just get a regular m- melody line and then we just yeah, kinda, sure. you know, uh, you know, just go off from there.
3: Right, right.
2: So, so, so like I added some Celtic stuff in there. Then yeah. It's some some- I, you know, so like, let me see. Let me tune up real quick. I'll show you. All right.
1: Some of the bass runs that you do with your thumb in that are incredible.
2: Here's it, another story. When I first went into the recording story, George Winston, you know, I always have an old save, no, no fix, no broke. I had the uh-huh. same things on my guitar for like 10 years. <laughs> I played a kid because my tuning was so low, the yeah. strings would never break, you know? Right, sure, yeah. But they're, you know, they were flat. I couldn't even tell. If, you, know. So I go to the studio, and he's trying to tune my guitar. Now I get to pay a hundred bucks now. And it has perfect pitch, so you get a handle, you know? So, yeah. so I go into the so studio. So he's going
1: crazy. Play. He's like, George,
2: you got to tune it. Yeah, yeah. So so I try to, and then he grabs it, he tries to tune it, we're in there for twelve hours. We didn't even record. We we're, t- were recording. We're tuning for twelve hours. Then he probably says, "George, you gotta change your strings." <laughs>
3: <laughs> so
2: then I, then whenever you know, he sent me his notes. All the songs he wanted me to do, and he always puts it on top in capital in red, George, change your strings. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you never changed their strings in twenty years. Cause, cause, uh,
2: you know, it, it didn't break. All oh right, we, we don't like to waste stuff, you know.
1: That's incredible.
2: And even when I record all those songs with my brother, we, we played it however it was, you know.
1: Well, it, it gets to be part of the sound too. Like it's a little thumpier and it's a little more muted too with really old strings, so I get it.
2: So that's how I started playing the 12 string. I listened to Peter, Paul, and Mary.
1: That's funny. That's- I, that That's funny that that was your, uh, your influence for 12 string.
2: Yeah, I mean in our family nobody never had a tall string before. Uh we, we had uh sixteen guitars Cat got, you know, right. I had an old Stella guitar my mom got for me. But she sure. bought me a stratocaster and a-
1: and a Mustang. Amazing. Nice mom. Yeah,
2: this is my this is my this is my workhorse. This is the first guitar he made for me, Art Davis. And this has got new strings, so
1: <laughs> You made a record a couple of years ago, Renaissance Man, which I also love. Mm-hmm. Are you planning on doing more records in the near future, or what's?
2: So I got so many songs in the can. Oh really? Oh yeah, we 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 record first, and we only release what we want, you know. Yeah, yeah. We probably got a thousand songs in a can someplace. Is it
1: still with Dancing Cat? Like, is is Dancing Cat still happening? With... Well, what
2: happened is Dancing Cat. You know, my brother-in-law decided to concentrate us so. Even the stuff I did with Bob Brosman, did you get that album? I have
1: it. Yeah, I have all Brosman stuff. Yeah.
2: Okay. Well, well but when Bob and I did, it. We was going to release some. dance together. But you know, he has, he has a lineup of all the different things that it would have taken us twenty years before we could release. So he gave all the, the recordings to me. I mean, he, I mean, he paid Bob and he paid me for the, all the songs. But say, so I give it to you. Go release it. You know. And then after Bob died, and uh, Haley cannot sell them anymore, anyway, so I said, give it all to me. I'll sell them all. You know.
1: Yeah. So are those gonna are those gonna come out? Some some more collaborations
2: with Bob? I don't know. There's a lot lot, lot in there, but uh, you know, uh, he, uh, we haven't actually gone back to that again. That's, that's a good idea that we should do because there's there's a lot more stuff. We already released like 16 songs. We did over uh, 200 recordings together. Whoa.
1: Bob and George Winston must must have been friends, right?
2: Oh yeah. They're, they're 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 friends. before I was friends. Okay. As a story about Bob. Nobody wanted to record with Bob, because he's a holly boy. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm not kidding. Nobody. Uh, they wouldn't show up. Led wouldn't show up. The show wouldn't show up. So I was the first guy I recorded with Bob. Really? And then after they saw that, but but then, then, then but mine didn't get released until after, because they said, "Hey, this guy's a good guy. They should try him." You know? And then, then they finally, you know, because Hawaii's a prejudice. I'm not kidding. They don't want to right. show the tunings, are. I was the only guy who was out, in fact. I started doing workshops where to teach all of these tunings to other people, you know. So so that you know, I don't care if you what you know. I'm into the music. I'm right, not into right. the the race or anything.
1: Did you get a chance to see any of the of the other generation of Hawaiian players like Saul Hoopi or? Uh... Or Taumoe or anybody like that. Did you ever get a chance to see those
2: guys? Yeah, I knew, I knew, I knew, I knew Taumoy, You did, but I didn't. I didn't see. The only thing I saw saw, of, uh, saw was um, my my dad worked uh, a stint when he worked for Fish and Wildlife. Um, Gabby would come out and play music in our backyard all the time. So my, uh-huh. dad, my dad, but my dad played a slack slacky guitar for uh, Auntie Juno Kiave. So 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 that, that's what that his connection with was, was, was the music world. Okay. And when he come home, you know, he come home for 18 months and 18 months then he go play music at Genoa then he go back on the road and, you know.
1: What was tamoy like? Did he tell you a lot of cool stories about, because he toured the world. He spent a lot of time in India and stuff like that, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. He he was, the, the thing about tamoy and his wife is that they were really missionaries. They were Mormon missionaries. Did you know that?
1: Oh, I didn't know that. I wondered, why, I wondered why he did so much traveling, but that was probably why. He
2: got out in the world, you know, he's was, he was a Mormon missionary. And then when he oh. went to India, you know, and they got, actually, I think they got stuck in India because of World War I and World War II, but he was there for a long damn time. Yes. So that's when he started teaching. Uh, but they are all Mormons. They were Mormon missionaries
1: his Hawaiian playing influenced a lot of Indian music too. Like there's a lot of oh, slide yeah. guitar in India because of him, I think. Right.
2: Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, what's his name? Uh, when I, when I did Bob's wedding in, uh, in, uh, in California, what's his name? Kamadish or whatever. I can't remember. What's that? Debasheesh Devashish Yeah. I played with Devashish too. And what a Me great Me too. Player, I know, you know? Devashish Yeah. 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 Devashish and all of those guys. Yeah. So, yeah. so th- that, that's how, you know, and then there was a whole bunch of guys. I mean, there was over two hundred players that came to Bob's thing that he played with you all over the tour. We saw—I was just one of them, you know. Yeah. But I, but I got to tour with Bob. Uh, we we did we did the whole U.S.
1: Did you play the Winnipeg Folk Festival with him in like in a, or probably around that year, ninety-nine? Yeah, 99?
2: yeah. We we played a lot of uh, festivals. I was there. I was,
1: I, I was playing the festival that year, so I saw. I there was like it was like. I think it was you, and and uh, there was a guy from Okinawa, and there was a guy from Greece. Uh, there was like a whole, it was like nine people on stage.
2: Anyway, uh, yeah, Bob t- influenced these guys too from all over the world, you know, too.
1: Yeah, he was really nice to me. I spent a lot of time with him at his, uh, you know, I visited his house a number of times, and I, I met him in Slovakia, of all places, and... He uh he was a big influence on me for sure. It was you know, I did a lot of shows with him over the years and uh had some fun, you know.
2: If it wasn't from him, tamoy wouldn't have all his albums coming back out again. He was the one yeah, who was, was really really behind tamoy and his wife and all for like sure. Yeah. And Tomoy yep. was old, he was like his 90s, 95, yep. 96, 97 years old. You know, yep. Bob was just a uh, incredible how he hung out with tamoy and spent the time. Well, thank you so much, And, uh, You know, anytime we want to do this again, but it's—I I don't know if we—we talking off about Slacky or is it, was was all over the map.
1: Just hearing the history is fascinating, and I just love to, to, to have you tell some of those stories. And I, you know, I—I I don't think there's a lot of information about that kind of stuff out there, so it's fantastic to hear you tell some of this stuff. And yeah, I mean, that's the beauty of of what I do here is like it doesn't really matter what we talk about so much as as. You know, just getting into stuff. So thank you.
2: Yeah. And then uh, if you ever come to Hawaii, I have a show that's been going on for 18 years. I have to a workshop. It's called, what is this? It's a 26th, 27th year. It's a oh, 23rd annual. I guess we got because of the COVID. Uh, we got, we're going to have uh, Larry Kapana teaching, Herb Walter Jr., Jeff Peterson, Sonny Lim. Uh, oh, wow. We've got Jason Jerome, Brad Badosa, Max Angel teaching, Kevin Brown. Peter Anyway, we got a whole bunch of guys who want to come. We teach uh, not only slacky guitar, we teach uh, Hawaiian arts and crafts. We cook Hawaiian cooking. We actually Amazing. Teach fishing. We teach Hawaiian language, songwriting. We've been going for 23, 23, years. So so if you want to come, come on. Where with. do you do that? Is that in Maui or is that on the yeah, big Yeah, it's on Maui. It's a, it's a, we have a, a show that we do at Napili Kai Beach Resort. It's called... called um, between,
3: more on the yeah,
2: this is more with information on my website, comical.com yeah. or slacky.com. And starting in June 1st, and uh, we go for about a week. We've been doing it for like for 22 years. Actually, this would have been a 26 year, but because of COVID, we haven't done it for a couple of years, you know? Yeah, and I, I, I love the Big Island too, but what happened is when I over here, you know, where I live, there was a lot of bogs, so I had a hard time breathing with all the, oh, the, yeah. the stuff and the fumes on the. On a, it was in a South corner Valley. It would just stay there for like months at a time. And my nose was always running. always, you know, so I came here and I like, I can breathe again. So I, I decided to stay on Maui. Yeah.
1: I get it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, yeah, I'll look that up for sure. And, and, uh, you know, hope to see you one of these days over there. And thanks so much, George, for doing this. So,
2: so, uh, and you know, I also played at, uh, what's the name of the place? The blue bird or something bird, bird cafe, blue bird cafe. And in Nashville. in Nashville, oh yeah, yeah you did. Okay. I, in fact, uh, led myself, not led, led zero myself and Dennis Comiskey played with Shed Atkins. Did you ever go to his workshops in Knoxville, Tennessee?
1: No, I didn't.
2: We played there for twelve years. We had two thousand students every year for twelve years before, uh, before, wow. uh, what's his name, um, uh, before he passed away. But we we that's did amazing. so. So that's how we started winning the Grammys because all of these guys were our students. You know, yeah. this is like in the '80s, so in the, they were were teenagers up to you know 40, 50 years old. So by the time the Grammys came around in the, 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 the 2010, these guys were in in the business. Uh, we also taught at Berklee School of Music in in um in, in um in Boston, Boston, right. and and then yeah. we do the, I did all of the the uh, you know th- those uh, those uh, festivals all over. You know, Savannah, um, uh. Arc- something davis art uh where um in west virginia you know, you know west coast uh you know sack, uh, guitar workshops puget sound yeah
1: you know, i remember the. i remember seeing your name at the puget sound one too i didn't go there but i'm from vancouver originally just up in canada just across from puget sound so oh wow!
2: Uh, yeah yeah i I, I played in canada too we did uh i f- forgot what said but it was a promotion for Dan, Dancing Cat. We we did over at yeah. Canada too. I think one of the biggest things I did with Bob was that um, it was, it was a big festival, probably three hundred thousand people. It was it's on the side Winnipeg. of. It's
1: probably Winnipeg or Edmonton or Winnipeg. I Edmonton,
2: bet. Edmonton. Yeah, yeah, and it was on the side of the uh, what do you call it? ski slopes? Yeah, yeah, Winnipeg, and then we'll you know.
1: I'm playing that festival I, this summer, so uh, yeah, I,
2: I I know it well. Yeah, that's so. And what I like about it is they got good food. Yeah man, really good. Yeah, food. And then, yeah. and then how they, they feed all you. those employees? You know, I mean, they got ten thousand volunteers, and they feed them all every day. It's amazing how they get the thing going in, and they got good food. I mean, I remember eating salmon with dill and all that stuff, you know, And then yeah. re- fresh salads. Well, I'm yep. gonna let you go, but thank you all so right, much man. if you ever come over and if you gotta, if you ever got anything for me to do in Nashville, I also played at the Grand Ole Opry too, way back in us with my brother Moses in the in a, maybe 87 or 86, wow. long time. Before, you know, they had the old operate and they had the new operator and I don't know where the heck they're at now.
1: They're still at the new one, but they do it at the Ryman once in a while um, still, which is always better to see it there. It's like, a, you know, it's the classic
2: the classic
1: Opry venue.
2: I played at the old one with them. And I forgot the name of that mandolin player. I played with him over there. I forgot his name.
1: Maybe Sam Bush or something like that.
2: Yeah, something like that. I can't remember all these guys he played with. And so did, uh, (laughs) so did, um, later actually played a lot more in uh, uh, Nashville than I did, you know? Okay. Well, thank you so much. uh, Thank you, George. Appreciate it. Bye-bye.
1: All right. Thank you for listening, everybody. That was my conversation with George Kahumoku Jr., Awesome. So great to talk to him. And I hope you check out his music. Make sure you check out the playlist on Spotify. And we'll see you in a couple weeks for another chilling episode of Music Makers and Soul Shakers. See you then. Music Makers and Soul Shakers is produced at the Hen House Studio in Nashville, Tennessee by Steve Dawson. Please remember to subscribe to the show and follow us on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube. You can find more info on this episode, including show notes and an audio playlist at makersandshakerspodcast.com. Thanks again to our amazing sponsors this season Ear Trumpet Labs, Union Tube and Transistor, Black Mountain Picks, Isotope, and Spectra 1964. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.